If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to Psalm 89. We'll finish our series in the Psalms today. Begin Esther next week. This is a long one, so buckle up. If you've been reading it, which I've, I've already talked to you, some of you have, and that's great. Well, it's a commitment in time, so um, this is also the only author authoritative part of the service. This is the inerrant part, so pay close attention. A maskal of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Let your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves arise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your right arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. Hide your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in the name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my command 
commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod of their iniquity and their iniquity with stripes. And I will not remove from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun is before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. You have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short all the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insult of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord. Father, help us as we consider the realities in this psalm. Teach us by your spirit. Shape us more and more into the image of you, Christ our King. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I told you it was long. Do you like puzzles or riddles? I have several friends and I even had students way back when I taught high school who they loved um, escape rooms. I don't think I would like an escape room. I would want to do immediately like whatever it takes to get, to get out of there. I'm not talking solve puzzles. I'm talking like bang on walls, break things. I'm not very subtle with things like that. This psalm is a bit like a puzzle. If you were listening closely, you heard some weird parts. It opens with this massive praise to God for who He is and His, His covenant. And then it goes on to praise the covenant Lord. God, you promised David. And the Davidic throne stands in the, the backdrop of all of this. And it's glorious scene. Plenty of oil. God tracking down his man and anointing him and promising him that the throne of David would last forever and it's going to be great. And then suddenly, 
It's not great. Suddenly, this throne is cast down. This kingdom is in ruins. Strong walls that are being breached and strongholds that can't hold anybody out. What in the world is going on? How can we see in a king and kingdom both these realities? Greatness. God's steadfast love and faithfulness, and also broken down walls, ruin, forsaken. If you put those together, that sounds a lot like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We'll have more to say about that in a minute. Listen to this. This is in the backdrop when your days are fulfilled. This is the Davidic covenant. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up another offspring after you, David, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that's standing in the backdrop of our song. Lying in the backdrop of 89, I love this. 84, Psalm 84. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Somebody who's on the outside wanting to come in. Psalm 85, someone who is back in the land but being afflicted, learning to call out to God in that affliction. Psalm 86, a more appropriate teaching on here's what it looks like to lament and cry out to God. Psalm 87, the answer to that cry is yes. Yes, you will be gathered here and you will be safe. The answer to that in Psalm 88 is that's not always going to be comfortable. That's going to be a difficult reality in this life. That's what we heard David preach last week. Ultimately, what is needed, Psalm 89 answers loud and clear, we need the Davidic king. We need a king. We need God to come and be God and do what only he can do. I'm going to give you the main point up front, and we're going to move through these pretty quickly. We may not always understand what God is doing, but we can always trust who God is. That's the point of the psalm. We may not always understand what God is up to. We can always trust who God is. We're going to look at this like so much of the psalm is about faithfulness. We're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord, the faithfulness of God being praised. And then there's going to be a question mark on faithfulness. Is he faithful? Is he? And then lastly, praise. First, his faithfulness. Ethan the Ezraite opens with four verses just praising the faithfulness of God. It's a theme throughout. It's actually used nine times in this psalm. We don't tend to use this word faithful very much. It doesn't come up in normal conversation. Like, you're such a faithful friend. I doubt you go around saying that. It probably doesn't get much um, traction in social media either. Like, you're such a faithful Twitter friend of mine. It's ridiculous. Because being faithful is all about trustworthiness, firmness, steadfastness. And so much of life is not that anymore. I mean, just, just look around. Consider your own relationships. 
Are you 100% reliable, trustworthy, faithful, all your promises, all the time? No, the answer to that is you're not. You're not. God is. That's the beauty of the gospel. He is the faithful one. It's interesting to note, too, that, that the faithfulness of God is often set side by side with his love. Proverbs 3, let love and faithfulness never leave. Deuteronomy 7, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Love and faithfulness sit side by side. Psalm 115, 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Because he is loving, we can trust him. Because he is loving, he can be trusted. The faithfulness of God is a rock. We can trust his steadfast love. Why say all this about faithfulness? It's a a theme in this psalm, but to remind your heart this morning on Sunday that you can trust God. You can trust Him. There are so many things in life that you cannot trust, but you can trust Him. He's the faithful one. Look, people move, people break promises. Guarantee you right now, you could think for less than five seconds about ways that people have broken their word to you. You would probably have to rack your brain a little harder, because we have trouble with this, in ways that you have not been fully honest with someone else. We change our minds, we're fickle, in the end, even doing our very best, We don't stack up. We're brought here to the faithfulness of God, not how good we are, but how great he is. That's what the psalm sets out to let us know. God, you are great. Your faithfulness is amazing. God's faithfulness, his character, his steadfast love is like the the foundation for the psalm. And it's meant to ground us to nothing else in life is certain. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God is certain. So how does he praise? In in the next 32 verses, he's going to go on to praise this, this great, steadfast love, loving, faithful God. How does he do this? Covenants. You have said, I have made my covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Covenants. God making promises. Things in the land of Israel are not the same. The people are being mocked and derided. They have no walls. The glory of the former temple is gone and it's never going to come back. The psalmist is reminding himself, all the singers... With the past in God, he's reminding himself of redemptive history. 
He's reminding himself of who God is and what he has done. 89.10, you crushed Rahab, Egypt, like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. 20, I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. 8.28, my steadfast love I will keep forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. 8.34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. 89.35, once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David again and again and again. God is keeping his word. He keeps his word. He's reminding himself of history. Do you do that? When things aren't going right, do you remind yourself of what God has done for you in the past? Do you remember his steadfast love and faithfulness? The covenant of grace, God is drawing his people to himself, giving us what Paul calls a glorious inheritance in the saints. What would sustain a nation going through exile, living up, having terrible conditions? The answer that the psalmist is giving us is God's faithfulness through covenants, His promises. So what has sustained Grace Presbyterian Church since 1974 in Shreveport? It's because, it's because our pastors have always been so great. It's because our elders were just shining examples of virtue and faith. Sometimes. No, what's sustained us in our church is the, the grace of God, His promises to His people. That's what makes the people of God so great. Another sustaining reality in this portion of the psalm is that God is in control. Do you ever rest in the fact that God is sovereign? O oh Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O oh, oh Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. He controls the sun, the moon, the waves. God is sovereign. He is in control. These are things to remind you when the elevator shaft of life has fallen out from under you. God is faithful. God is in control. We have all these wonderful truths, but then we get to our puzzle. We, we come to the second section, 38 through 51, and these things don't really fit. So now it, the, the psalm turns, and instead of saying, God is faithful, yea, steadfast love and faithfulness, now it, it steps to the other side and says, is God faithful? I think that's an honest assessment as a Christian. I think if you're going to have to, if you're going to reckon with God and who he is and who you are in him, you're going to ask questions like that. God, are you faithful? Ethan the Ezraite is perplexed by what he's experiencing. This whole section takes up the same language from earlier, this high and soaring language, but then it, it uses it to stress the reversal 
doesn't feel like God is at work with his people at all. It doesn't feel like God is sovereign at all. It doesn't feel like he is loving at all. It doesn't feel like God is faithful at all. And here's a point that we all need to deeply learn and know Christianity. Knowing Jesus savingly. Believing the gospel. Believing your Bibles. Walking with the Lord in this life does not exempt you from suffering. It doesn't exempt our church from suffering. We aren't exempt from being perplexed by the providence of God. Being a Christian, being in Christ, allows you to endure suffering with hope. You heard that last week, Psalm 88. And listen, we we have all seen this. We have seen people in dark seasons of life actually ministering the gospel to someone else. Even when we have questions and we we suffer inside because of the faithfulness of Christ, we see people utterly perplexed at God's providence and yet still willing to love someone else and minister to them. I hope you've had the opportunity to see that. Listen to all the words the psalmist uses in this section. Renounced, breach, ruin, plunder, scorn, enemies rejoicing, turned back, casting his throne to the ground, cut short, shame, mocked. It's not a good situation. It appears to the psalmist that the promises of God are utterly in ruins. How are we supposed to profit from this or grow? Last week, David made a great application that is just fantastic that a psalm like Psalm 88 is even in our Bibles to begin with. And I would say the same with 89. Calvin says it beautifully like this on verse 38. Not that he accuses God of falsehood, but he speaks in this manner, in this rough manner, That he may, with all freedom, cast his cares and griefs into the bosom of God who permits us to deal thus with him. What, What is the psalmist doing with all these words? He's casting his cares honestly into the bosom that is into the chest of God himself. Have you, child of God, cast your cares into the bosom of God himself? Would you dare to talk to God like this? We're invited to. He permits us, Calvin says, to deal thus with him. It's interesting that here the psalm goes this direction. So where do we go when things go off the rails in our life? Some bottle it up. Shut up about it. Don't say anything. Keep it in. Maybe you end up numbing that inward pain, right? Alcohol, drugs, whatever, habits, bottle it up. Others let it out, like like rage. That's especially true uh, in the world of social media. The world loves good, um, a good public rage. The problem is with both of those ways is they don't accomplish anything. Bottling it up doesn't help. Having a good tantrum so that other people can know that you're going through a really hard time actually isn't helping. 
The psalmist is saying when things aren't going your way, the way you think they should go, cry out to God. Tell Him. He's faithful, loving, He's sovereign. Do you think He's forgotten what, what He just wrote? Do you think the psalmist is that confused about reality? No, he knew full well what he wrote at the beginning of the psalm. This is the very, the very same God he's writing about. The psalmist lets us know something very important. We don't always know how to approach our particular place or moment in history. In some ways, the psalm is a perfect segue into our upcoming study when people are going to live in exile and not know how to live, not know how to react. That's exactly what's going on in the psalmist. He has no idea. Nothing in his life is going the way that he thought it would go. This brings us to the next reality about the psalm, and it's this. The psalmist was looking for God to fulfill his promises through David in a very specific way that didn't align with his experience. Listen, he wanted to see God's program worked out in a way that he could understand. Yes, all that makes sense. We have our Davidic guy up on the throne. Everything is looking good. Was God unfaithful to his promise? No, never. So the issue actually wasn't that God was unfaithful. It's that the psalm writer can't imagine God working out his promises in a way that he doesn't understand. Listen, I think this is so helpful. It was for me this week just to think about this reality. Even when I can't see God working things out in life, he is. They don't have to align with the way that I think they should go. That's the problem in this, the psalm. That's the puzzle that's, that's missing. There's no grid to see, oh, God is going to keep his promise. And it's actually going to involve all of this suffering. The psalmist isn't asking for something too big. His, his asks are way too small. You, you see, God is going to answer his covenant. He does utterly fulfill the covenant of grace. But it's not the way the guy wants it to happen. Much later, after this psalm, there would be a new power in town. It would be Roman rule. No longer the Medo-Persian Empire, a.k.a. Babylon. No, it would be Rome. And Caesar would send out a decree throughout his kingdom, his world. This is just telling you how he works it out. Saying, hey, everybody has to go to the place where they were born and, and pay taxes. And then because of that decree, this young couple, she's great with child, would have to go back to Bethlehem, the city where David is from. Would, would you write the story like this? No, and there a baby would be born who is the Son of God Himself. See, all these questions are like, hey, life isn't going the way that I expect. It's not looking the way that I think it should look. And God's answer is, look at Christ. Yes, utterly unexpected, the Son of God has come, lived and died, and rose conquering death. Isn't that good? Would you ever write the story like that? And the answer is, no, you wouldn't, and neither would I. We just get to live in light of it. 
Listen, he is faithful. He is good. But it might not look the way you want it to look in the moment. In the psalmist's wildest imagination, he couldn't see that God was answering every single promise he had ever given to the nation and to the whole world and to his people by sending his son. Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? What a, what a great thing to remind. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, God's providence might not be working out in your life the way that you want it to, but that does not mean that God is not working. He is. He is at work. So it goes through these complaints. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? What man can live and never see death, he asks. Really interesting question. What man can live and never see death? Jesus Christ, who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Jesus can. Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Jesus can. Through the resurrection, death itself was conquered. I think all these complaints that he's throwing out are answered perfectly by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think some reflection for all of us is is needed here. Do you think God has not been faithful to you? I think some of us, to some extent, wrestle with that. Your health, your relationships, your work, your habits, your children, your peers, your parents. Whatever area you feel deeply that God has somehow abandoned you. Do you ever in that place think of the Lord Jesus Christ? He can't love you anymore. The eternal God who spoke all things into existence by the word of his power loved you, sent his son for you. Listen, when you're thinking about this area of your life not going right, take ten looks at Jesus and one look at your own problem. And we realize that it might not be the kind of help that we want, but God is actually get, giving us everything we need. Is it possible that God is still coming through for us in these ways, ways that we don't understand? We're having to trust His providence. The answer to this puzzle is yes. Look to Jesus. He has been at work and He is not going to stop. After having wrestled out all this puzzle in life and in this nation and, and giving all of these complaints to God, he ends with praise. Doxology. Blessed be the Lord forever. He just asked all these vast questions. He's raging and almost, you can see him shaking his fist. And then he blesses the name of the Lord forever. What a powerful way to put this puzzle together. We're mocked, we're insulted, we have no hope. Our king was supposed to be here and he isn't blessed be the Lord. It's like Job. The Lord gave 
The Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He fell down on his face and worshiped God. Look, nothing is going right. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even when we don't see it, God is worthy of all praise. Even when we can't feel it, God is worthy of praise. Even when all seems dark, the gospel is true. Christ has come. And he is worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And with the psalmist, can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. Can you say that? Even when things aren't going well. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word, for our time together this summer in the Psalms. Lord, we pray that you would produce fruit in our lives through it. Lord, even when things in life aren't going the way that we think they should go, may we bless your name. Would you do this work in us powerfully by your spirit? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.